0: Good morning. I'm Chris Williams, and this is Fordham Conversations. This week, I'm talking to John Johnson. He's a producer for the Broadway play Banya and Sonia and Masha and Spike, which won the 2013 Tony Award for Best Play. Johnson is a Fordham alum and graduated in 2002. We talked about the play, his responsibilities as a producer, and how he became interested in theater.
1: I was born on Manhattan's Upper West Side, and went to school a public school here in New York uh went to high school on Long Island at uh Smithtown High School and the right around the time of when I was applying to schools I kind of knew I needed to get out of the suburbs and come into the city <laughs> or come back to the city or a city and that's around, right around the time when I started looking at Fordham University and I was looking for schools to go to for theater uh, had always liked the theater never was uh, like a huge like child performer or anything like that but definitely got involved in it for the sort of community aspect nature of it in high school so would do lighting and do uh, the planning and at the same time sometimes act in shows when i was needed but never really uh, was like i want to be a performer that's what i want to do but which was great because I kind of got to look at every single aspect of the theater from many different levels and which really was one of the main reasons that I wanted to go to Fordham because whether it's the liberal arts thing or the Jesuit thing that allows you to be what do they call it the well-rounded person or something like that uh like Father Grimes but when I was looking at schools that I kept coming back to that, that I could do a lot of different things as opposed to just doing one thing. Like I have to go and I have to learn about only producing. In this case, I knew I wanted to go. I was gravitating towards the managerial and producing side of the theater, but the opportunity to sit there and say, oh, I can also direct, or I could write a play, or if I wanted to act, I could act, or any of those things. And the biggest thing for me was the energy of the city, the feel of the city, was something that I always gravitated towards. Like back when you used to like sleep on the street to go see rent, like that was me with my uh, high school friends. And we would always like get on Long Island Railroad and come in to go to shows. We would go to the TKTS booth and be like the first people online. And it's what we wanted. We always wanted to do that. We always wanted to be a part of it. So to me, it made no sense to like go to school upstate or to go to school in Boston or D.C. It was, well, there's a school at Lincoln Center that kind of has all these things. Let me go there and see how I like it.
0: So growing up, did you see plays a lot? Did you go to Broadway plays, or did you see other stuff in the city?
1: I usually only saw Broadway. I wasn't a big uh, theater person, or the family that I was a part of wasn't a big theater family. It wasn't like... Seeing Broadway shows at like five, or you know, we would go all the time. We would go to an occasional one, there'd be like a school field trip here or there, but I was really into, and still I'm extremely into sports, and I was always going to like sporting events more than I was going to the theater. But once I was in high school, then it became that thing of, oh, well, we're gravitating towards the theater. I like the theater. My friends and I that I do shows with are in the theater, so you would come to Broadway because it was just you knew that you could uh, sleep on the sidewalk and see Rent or you knew that you could get to the TKTS booth and pick a number of different shows that you could want to see. Uh, But I think that was probably the the whole Rent sort of phenomenon was the thing that kicked my interest in the theater and level of uh, engagement in the theater to new heights because I was... I remember seeing that show for the first time. I remember seeing that show on the Tony Awards, and that really opened up everything for me. And then that was when I was just hooked. Over those next two years, my junior and senior year of high school, I just wanted to see shows all the time. And once I was at Fordham, too, then it just became, you know, then you're there. Then it's an extension of that. And probably right around the time that I was a freshman was when you saw yourself branching into off-Broadway stuff, experimental theater stuff, off-off-Broadway. Once you had that access, and once you had the, whether it be the teachers or the uh, upperclassmen that said, oh, you have to go check out this. This is the thing you need to see at La Mama, or this is the thing you need to see at New York Theater Workshop. I did an individualized major, which I don't know if they still have or not. I bet they do. I was able to combine business school classes as well as theater classes for a theater management individualized major, and... One of the big things that I, knowing, the, know, the professors knowing that that's what I wanted to do, they said, okay, well, you're here. You're going to work with the general manager of the theater department, who, uh, his name is Eva Patton, who was at the university, I think, for over 15 years. Uh, she just left last year. And she, I was basically her assistant for four years. And I would help her run the box office, and I would help her uh, do all the posters and advertisements for the main stage shows and the studio shows. I helped with a lot of the administrative tasks of the department, and was always kind of overseeing the structure and organization of the department as a whole. Whether it be the, you know, when every when it was actually files of photos, it would be all that archiving and stuff like that. When it, we come time to talking about the department with new incoming students, uh, they called them theater ambassadors. It was about talking about that when we launched the first Fordham audition tour where we would go to different cities to audition students it was that part but the the four years that I had there were unbelievable you had you know you were 20 blocks away from Times Square you could go and see anything at any point uh... the amount of people that came in whether they be guest directors guest speakers uh, I mean I still remember the moment Kevin Spacey came during the year that Iceman Cometh was happening and He and the Tony Danza and the rest of the actors and that amazing ensemble came to Fordham, talked to us, and then he got on like his little scooter and like zipped down to the theater to do the show that night. Uh, It was just an unbelievable experience from that aspect, as well as the community, the small community that the theater program is allowed. You were always doing everything. You weren't, the actors weren't over here, and the designers weren't over here, and the playwrights weren't over here. Everyone was in the mix together. You were always constantly collaborating with people. And I think that gave both myself and all the folks that I went to school with an edge of, oh, well, I can do anything. I I, I can be called on to do anything in a show or any aspect of it, and at least have an understanding of what it is as opposed to just being like, well, I don't know how to do that, I'm an actor, or I don't know how to do that, I'm just a director. Everyone was kind of cross-pollinating at any given moment. And so it really allowed, once I was in the theater community as a whole here on Broadway, it allowed me to not be intimidated by anything that was sort of being thrown at me.
0: After college, did you find yourself working in theater right away, or did
1: you go to grad school? I know. I realize how lucky I am when I tell this story, and I say it a lot. And especially when I say it to either Fordham students or just anyone who's looking to be in the theater period. I realized that this isn't the norm. But my junior year, my advisor, who was the head of the theater program, Larry Saccaro said, "Okay, if you want to be a producer, you have to work for Elizabeth McCann, who is a Fordham graduate as well, went to the law school. She uh, and Larry collaborated and worked on uh, the Pulitzer Prize-winning play. It would all be three tall women in the early in the mid '90s that was at the Promenade." And he said, you have to work with her. I'm going to get you an interview. You need to make sure, don't mess this up. Or just basically said, go and talk with her. And I went and I talked with her assistant. And it was right around the time they were about, she and Joey Parnes, who's my boss right now, were working together on the Tony Awards. And I got an internship there between my junior and senior year, worked on the Tony Awards that summer, or spring into summer. And then went back to Fordham for my senior year and worked on the Tony Awards again. The next year was kind of a part-time paid job. And when I graduated, worked on that Tony's, Joey's assistant position became available. And he said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I became his assistant and then became his associate. And I'm now a producer in his office. So it's been this evolution over the last, since I graduated in two 11 years to get to this point which is not usually how it goes. Usually people bounce around from different offices, but uh, the relationship that I have with Joey has uh, evolved and matured in a great way, and we've become great uh, collaborators and friends, and uh, he's an amazing mentor to me, Uh, and Liz was as well for the years that we worked together. I'm Chris Williams on 90.7 WFUV, speaking with John
0: Johnson about his work on a Tony Award-winning play. Just moving the conversation over to uh, Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Am I saying all those names, right? Yeah. Okay, great. So did it start at this company, at this production company here? Because I know it was originally at Lincoln Center, Mm -hmm. correct? So can you just talk a little bit about the evolution from being a play on Lincoln
1: Center to moving to Broadway? Sure. So the play was originally commissioned by the McCarter Theater at Princeton University. And then became a co-production with the McCarter and Lincoln Center so about a year ago not right now but a year ago in August the company uh, the entire Broadway company started rehearsing at Princeton did the show for eight weeks there then moved to Lincoln Center was doing the show there the the run there ended up being about 14 weeks and right around December so it would have been about a month since it opened uh... we got a call from Lincoln Center saying that they were not going to be able to move it under their own auspices. Usually, Lincoln Center, when it does a show at their smaller theater downstairs at the Mitzi, are, are able to move uh, the shows themselves. But because they already had the Nance on Broadway and that their upstairs theater at Lincoln Center, the Beaumont, was also booked, they weren't able to transfer this one within the season. And sometimes they'll be able to bank the season until the next year. But because of the schedules of Sigourney and David they uh, couldn't do that. So we went and saw it, checked it out, loved it, laughed a lot, and thought, the show is really funny, it has a lot of heart, and more people should be able to see this. And we started during the holiday time, which isn't usually the easiest time to kind of gauge people's interest for moving a show commercially, just because everyone's mind is on the holidays and vacations or whatever. Uh, we spent that time in the early part of January trying to get a groundswell of uh, support from a theater owner, which we ended up getting, uh, and the right theater. And we got a, the gorgeous Golden, which is a very intimate space that's perfect for this play and a lot of smaller plays. And just kind of getting the groundswell of support from investors. And only with only having at the time 17 weeks, it was a very kind of tight economic uh scenario and getting being able to get out but we thought there's a lot of plays on broadway there are a lot of musicals on broadway for the spring season but there weren't any comedies and maybe this could act as sort of a counter-programming for the the season there were going to be a lot of heavy dramas there were going to be a lot of big flashy musicals but there wasn't that one show that people could kind of kick back and just laugh at and that's where we ended up kind of navigating and the show closed at Lincoln Center January 19th. We were back in the rehearsal studio a month later and we teched the show in four days, did a week of previews then opened, which is not how most shows on Broadway work now usually. I mean, for musicals, you need months of rehearsal and tech time leading up to it. Plays, you need at least a couple of weeks for that. But because they had already done the show for at that point, 23 24 weeks in total they didn't need a lot of time to kind of find it it was let's get it in let's make sure that the set fits the lighting works they get used to the new space and then let's just go it seems really fast for it to
0: to you know open up on broadway and then just a few months later it wins to tony for best play is this is this unusual or is this something that kind of happens on a regular basis
1: I wouldn't say it's the usual, but I also wouldn't use the word unusual. There have been seasons before where plays have kind of come out of nowhere, opened either late in the season or, uh, you know, no one had really been talking about them, and then they kind of just showed up, and then the next thing you know, they've won the Tony, or the next thing you know, they've become a hit. Uh, Red certainly felt that way, which was a play that was also at the Golden about three years ago. No one was really talking about it. It was a two-hander. It was about Rothko, and then it opened, it had some profile in London, but then it opened and it just became this phenomenon. And I think kind of similarly here, we we had some great weeks at the beginning and it just kind of built and it just snowballed down the hill to a point where the word of mouth, which is a word that gets used a lot or a phrase that gets used a lot in the theater, but it's true. When people start seeing it and people start talking about it, people start telling their friends, their family, whomever, their coworkers, you have to go see this show that, it's so funny, it's so touching, it's so whatever. People just respond to that. And the next thing you know, those people go, and then they tell people, and then those people go, and they tell people. And you end up with a week like we had this week where it just, you know, we were almost, we, we sold out most of the performances, and the ones that we didn't, we were just a couple seats short. So is this the most high-profile play that you've been involved with? As a... Above the title producer, yes. As a producer, uh, as a Tony-eligible or above the title producer, yes. Uh, Other shows that I've worked on as an associate producer have definitely been as high profile. uh, But they were different. Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino was hugely uh, successful and a a phenomenon in its own right after it transferred from Shakespeare in the Park to Broadway. But everyone kind of knew it was going to be that when it was coming uh and i was an associate producer on that show the revival of hair which was again another hugely successful show uh, a phenomenon in its own right it uh was another show that i'm extremely proud of and uh taught me a lot and gave me a lot of relationships and connections and family from the actors and the people that worked on that show that still resonate even now and you know, there's that saying you love. You know, you love all your children the same, whether or not they go and make all their money back. But that's nice. Whether they win awards, but that's also nice. But there have also been tons of shows that I've worked on in an associate role, like *Passing Strange*, that uh, I could not be more proud—prouder—to be a part of and to be have been associated with. Because people, when they hear that I work on that show, are like, "I saw the show on Netflix." because Spike Lee perfor- uh, recorded the last couple performances of it, that show changed the way I think about theater or changed the way I think about art or changed the way I think about what a theatrical experience can be. And you're also as proud of those as you are about the others. I mean, the, fam- the, the familial aspect of, it, of the theater is extremely cliche, but it's a cliche that's true. And still being able to see people at, uh, you know, like for the Tony party for Vanya Sonia, there were people that were there that I'd worked on for Merchant, uh, worked on with, for Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, people for Passing Strange. They were all kind of at this party, not because we had invited them, but because they were there with friends of friends or they were there because they also worked on the show because they were the lighting designer for this show or they were the wardrobe person for that show. And it was great to have all of those people. It's, it's just great to have all those people in your life, period, let alone, uh. You know, just for one show.
0: For people who haven't seen the play, what can they expect when they go see it?
1: I think that they can expect to laugh a lot. I think they can expect to be ready to spend time with an amazing, if not dysfunctional, family that is the three characters that play brother and sister as well as the rest of the ensemble that's in the show. And I think that they can hope to really just... Escape from whether it's the heat, whether it's you know, whatever they're kind of going through at that specific moment to kind of walk into that theater and almost sit on that porch with those characters and let loose for a little bit, whether that's with laughter, whether that's with emotion, no matter what they're looking to get from it, because I think all of it allows uh, all of it lives within that, and while there are Chekhovian references in the title and there are Chekhovian references all over the, the the script. You don't need to be a Chekhov scholar to understand it, but I think that there's definitely something about the uh, nature of Chekhov that kind of runs through it. Chris tells the story about how when he thought about writing this play, he thought about himself uh, in the role of the Vanya character, what would happen if his life, if he just stayed in his house in Pennsylvania and he never left and yet he had a famous movie star sister and you know what would happen if she came back and she had a boyfriend and just everything that kind of wrapped around that and in his mind it's sort of this uh, alternate reality play and i think a lot of people uh, connect with that even though they don't know that story about it heading into it but there's this heightened level of theatricality with the piece a heightened level of humor with the piece uh, heightened level of like familial dysfunction or angst with the piece that people really connect with.
0: So just going back a little bit from the transition from Lincoln Center to Broadway, were there any production changes in terms of set or, I mean, even big things like people who worked on the show?
1: I think that the, the production is the production as you, as you saw it at the Mitzi, the, difference, the, the biggest difference was going from a three-quarter thrust stage to a proscenium stage, which I think helped a lot in terms of the comedy. Mm-hmm. So there were minor st- staging changes, but I think just the atmosphere of having 800 people as opposed to 270 people definitely helped with the laughter. The biggest change was probably the advertising only because Lincoln Center is a very set way for their season about how they advertise their shows and they did it a great way for the Mitzi Newhouse production. But in this case, we knew we had to show that it was something different than everything else that you were seeing on Broadway or everything else you were expecting to see on Broadway. And so it was all about the comedy and the zaniness and bright colors, uh, bright blues, bright yellows, and this great photo that was shot for The New Yorker where there's a costume party at the end of the first act of the show Uh, and in this photo for The New Yorker that Brigitte Lancôme did it's Sigourney in a Snow White costume, David as a dwarf and Christine dressed in this ball gown and we knew that that kind of photo would set the tone for people so when they got the piece in the mail or when they saw an ad in the paper it's, is that Sigourney Weaver? Why is she in a snow white costume? Is that David I. Pierce? Why is she dressed like a dwarf? It, it just kind of gave that, it got people talking about it. And so by the time that everyone started seeing it and kind of it mixed with the advertising, all of a sudden people were talking about it in the right types of ways. Okay.
0: So it seems like as a producer you wear a lot of hats. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the way. I just that's just what I'm assuming. <laughs> Um, Can you talk a little bit about your role specifically on this play and if your role differs from play to play? For example, do you do different things when you're working on play A and then play B comes along and you find that you have to do something completely different where you have a a new set of responsibilities?
1: I definitely wear a lot of hats. I definitely uh, do multiple things on any given show at any given moment. It does change on a show-to-show basis, just because different companies are uh, different in how they do get get the job done. Some companies are very uh, open and are you know hanging out with people all the way up till like eight o seven, right when the curtain goes up. Hair was very much like that. It was a big old party backstage, and everyone just kind of hanging out and everyone talking. And you could go back there and talk about a piece of business with someone at like eight o five, and then at eight o seven they'd go on. Uh, the company at Vanya Sonia is very, uh, they have their routine and they are set in it and they are like actors to the nth degree of, their warm-ups are at this time, their tea is at this time, their you know prep is at this time and their costume is at this time. And it's really remarkable how set in the ways that they are. And it shows you just how much of a craft that it is when you see that and so there's that whole company relation aspect that changes on a show to show basis there's an investor relation aspect and a producer relationship aspect that changes on a show to show basis there are some producers that want to know all the information at all the time there's some producers that want to know some of the information uh in occasional chunks and there are some people that want to talk about every single performance from a numbers standpoint you know, on the phone the next day. And depending on how any of these line up, that's what I'm doing on any given basis. The advertising the same way. There's shows that you you constantly have to be aware of things, but there's sometimes you need to be aware of it on a week-to-week basis, sometimes you need to be aware of it on a day-to-day basis. But the you're always juggling multiple balls in the air and trying to find which one is the one you need to catch first.
0: So maybe you could clear this up for me. So how does this work exactly? Do people send scripts to you and you look at them and, and you decide whether or not you want to be involved with it? Or is it like with Banya where it was already a play and you see it and you decide, OK, let's take this. Let's make it bigger. Or is it a little bit of both?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. In terms of cold uh, mailings from people that are scripts, that usually doesn't happen as much like that kind of movie idea of like a script lands on your desk. And the next thing you know, it's on Broadway. That happens less, but what does happen is an agent will call and say, hey, uh, there's this play at the Guthrie or at the Old Globe. You should go check that out. It's this young author. I think this play has a lot of commercial promise. That is definitely one route. Another route is, again, you kind of keeping an eye on different theaters and different shows that are happening at those theaters and seeing if there's any potential in that. Uh, A lot of the time it's... uh, Agencies coming to you and saying, "We have, you know, this director or this actor or this script. They're available at this time. What do you think?" Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually how it works. A lot of it's timing. Uh, there's a huge amount of timing that's associated with it, whether it be for the right script available, matching up with the right director who's available at that time, with the right actor availability, whether they're a Hollywood star or not a Hollywood star just the fact that if they're not already booked up with something else, a lot of planets have to align for each show to happen.
0: So it sounds like you knew you had something special on your hands here, but did you
1: expect it to win the Tony? When we were looking to move it? Absolutely not. And even in the in the instance of when we were in the middle of the season, I think there was also, uh, we were excited about how the audience was responding to it, and excited about the certain awards that were coming with it, but. There were a lot of great plays on Broadway this year. Uh, Lucky Guy by Nora Ephron, The Nance with Douglas Carter Bean, which ended up not getting nominated, even though, for a Tony that is, but it was kind of stunning that it didn't. Uh, the Assemble Parties in Manhattan Theater Club. We had all these great plays that were all uh, sort of from different uh, places of the theater. And you just kind of didn't know in any given moment, but the momentum of each win that we got from all the ancillary awards, like the Outer Critics Circle and the New York Drama Critics Circle, definitely bring you some hope that that's going to be the, the one, that that's going to you know, lead you to winning the Tony Award. But I think a lot of us in this office and a lot of us on our team didn't believe it until that, that envelope was opened.
0: So, when you interned at the Tony's, did you actually go to the awards ceremony or were you more like working leading up to it? And did you, you went?
1: Oh, yeah. Every year I was there in the, in the, uh, in Radio City Music Hall in the, in the days leading up to it during the rehearsals and all day that day. I mean, during the Tony's, we were involved in the, sort of the managing the finances to the administration of them to the ticketing to all the events that surrounded it so when we did it it was two months from when the nominations happened till you know two weeks after the award that we were just constantly living eating breathing the tony awards all the time Mm -hmm. so i had been so those eight years i was there every single every single uh night So when you were doing that, did you ever think that you'd win one one day? Or was that sort of like... I'd always hoped that I would, (laughs) absolutely. I never thought it would be five years after the last Tonys that we worked on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's the great thing about the theater. It's very, you know, it comes from success and opportunity come from many different places, sometimes places you never expected them to. So was it surreal to be sitting there and,
0: and to, like you know they open the envelope and, and you guys win what was that feeling like
1: I don't remember anything that Jesse Eisenberg said after he said the word Vanya uh-huh. uh and yeah it was abs- it was surreal the whole night was surreal the whole the whole that whole moment specifically was surreal but it, the entire night was an unbelievably surreal and exciting night just to be with this office for our office for the company for the producers that we worked on it was just a fantastic night uh kind of all encompassing from this kind of shot out of a cannon way that we had even four months ago uh the the, the like the teams that we worked on together the advertising team from spot uh which they uh they've worked we've worked on a lot of shows with them And actually, uh, another theater management major at Fordham, Steve Sosnowski, who was a year below me, worked on leading the charge for the advertising for it. And then the lead press rep at O&M was uh, uh, Andy Snyder, who was another Fordham grad, too. So we have, you know, the two of us or the three of us that night kind of looked at each other and said, how crazy is this? You know, 10 years ago, we were still at Fordham together. And now we're sitting here having worked on this show uh, that just won the Tony and that we all worked on together, like that we each, like, just, we all killed ourselves to get it to this p- moment, and it paid off.
0: What else are you working on? Like, what's coming up for you?
1: We're working on a new musical called The Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which is going to be at the Walter Kerr. It's a new musical that was at Hartford Stage in the Old Globe in San Diego. That's coming in in November. It's a sort of a Edwardian musical comedy.
0: This has been Fordham
1: Conversations
0: on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarchy and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Chris Williams.